Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You're listening to a special episode of All the Books. I'm your host, Liberty Hardy, and today I'm going to answer listener questions. So here we go. A few weeks ago, I asked you if you wanted to ask me anything, and several of you did. I have a bunch of questions here from listeners. Some of them are the same questions, so that made it easy. And I am now going to attempt to answer as many as I can in the next several minutes. Before I do that, I want to tell you about today's sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated. So Negative Space by Jillian Linden follows a week in the life of an English teacher at a New York private school. At home, her children ask constant questions about mortality and her husband offers occasional counsel between Zoom calls. At school, something happens. She accidentally witnesses an ambiguous, possibly inappropriate interaction between a teacher and a student. But how can she be sure of what she saw? Negative Space is a portrait of a woman caught between the pressures of what's normal and what isn't, and examines what we owe the people who depend on us in a fractured and indifferent world. It's a debut novel and a short novel. It's perfect if you want something quick and easy to carry around, but it's also thought-provoking. It takes place during the pandemic, but it's not pandemic-focused, and it really just looks at everyday anxieties and low-threat situations that have high consequences. So make sure to check out Negative Space by Jillian Linden, and thanks again to W.W. Norton and Company Incorporated for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Charming, easygoing, and rich, Xavier Castillo has the world at his fingertips. He also has no interest in taking over his family's empire, but that hasn't stopped women from throwing themselves at him, unless, of course, the woman in question is his publicist. The cool, the intelligent, the ambitious Sloan Kensington, who is a high-powered publicist who's used to dealing with difficult clients, but none infuriate or tempt her more than a certain billionaire heir with his stupid dimples and laid-back attitude. She may be forced to work with him, but she'll never fall for him because he's a client and that's all he'll ever be, right? Right, girl, like we all know. So just in case you didn't know, author Anna Wong is the best-selling author and book talk viral author of the Twisted Love series, the King of Sin series. Miss Wong, got it going on, okay? Make sure to check out King of Sloth by Anna Wong. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so let's kick it off with Sophie. Sophie had several questions. First being, have you ever taken any personality tests such as MBTI or Enneagram? And if so, what did you test as? Uh, The answer is, I had not ever taken a personality test until about a half an hour ago. I took the Enneagram test. I got type 4, the individualist. There are nine types. I got less than 40% on eight of them, and I scored 78 or 79 on type 4. So there you go. I did it just for you, Sophie. Sophie also asks, what happened to make you become a vegan? Uh, nothing in particular. I, it wasn't like I fell off a cliff and was rescued by a flying cow or something. 
Uh, I just, when I was eight, I went to the Deerfield Fair and came out of that wanting to be a vegetarian. So from the age of eight until 2013, I was a vegetarian. And then I decided to go all the way to become a vegan. Um, but I don't enforce my views on anyone else. My boyfriend is a giant carnivore. I don't try to make people feel bad about their choices. That's just what I wanted to do. Sophie's next question. Do you have a favorite color? Yes, black. Uh, when I was little, my mother used to dress me in like white and blue and purple. Uh, but then once I got old enough to make my own decisions, it was always black. Especially because I was a metalhead. Most metalhead things come in black. It was just like a natural progression. Next question. Did you go to university? No. No, I did not. Um, if not, why did you make that choice? Uh, because I did not like school. I did not enjoy being in school. I got teased pretty much from kindergarten until senior year. Did not want to be there ever. Did not want to participate. So I had horrible grades. And uh, my high school experience was terrible and kind of turned me off from school and teachers just in general. So that's okay. It's fun. Uh, next question. Is there anywhere in the world you'd like to visit? I would like to visit pretty much every place, but I don't actually want to go anywhere, if that makes sense. Um, I don't like leaving my house. Like, when I get to the place I need to go, the place I want to go, it's great. But the in-between time, I just like it. And the idea of travel stresses me out. Uh, maybe someday I'll get over that. But for now, I just kind of like it here, I guess, if that makes sense. Not a very exciting answer. Next up, Arissa. Arissa says, I recently read The Secret History and remembered you saying it was one of the only books you reread. I would love to hear how you first discovered it, why you feel so drawn to it, and what you think about Tart's other books. Okay, so when I was 16, I was sitting in a coffee shop. This girl was reading The Secret History at the table next to me. When she got up to go to the bathroom, I peeked at the inside jacket. It sounded really good. I went to the library that afternoon where my mom worked, and I checked it out, and there you have it. I think I was drawn to it because I was young, and it was about kids who were just a little bit older than me who were making adult decisions. Terrible adult decisions, but I was really drawn to it. And I do love her other books. Uh, the Little Friend. Lots of people don't like The Little Friend. I think it's because it's so wildly different than The Secret History, and they, people have been waiting 10 years for a new book. Um, but if you know Donna Tartt at all, you know that her favorite author is Charles Portis, and you can see a lot of him in that book. And I also love The Goldfinch. I think it goes on for way too long, but I love it, and I would probably read it even if it was twice as long. Courtney wants to know, just curious what your rabbit rabbit ritual is. According to Wikipedia, it should be the first thing you say aloud in the new month. So do you say it at midnight or when you wake up? Uh, I'm not very superstitious about rabbit rabbit. I don't say it. Occasionally I'll post photos of two rabbits on the first day of the month on social media, but I don't usually say it at all. Um, the only thing I'm superstitious about is when I'm driving, if I get to the place where I want to go and a song is on the radio by a band that I really love, not a song that I'm playing like on my phone or on a CD, but like on the actual radio, if there is a song playing by a band I love, I will not get out of the car until the song is finished. Like I won't turn off the car. I don't know why that is. I've always been that way since I was a kid. Uh, not a little kid. I mean, I didn't have my license at eight, but since I had my license, I just, I don't know. I, I wonder if anyone else is like that. Anonymous wants to know, if you could live inside any book, which book would it be and why? I'm going to cheat here and say pretty much any book that has an amazing library in it, I think. Because that's all I like to do is read. So it could be The Invisible Library. It could be The Air Affair. Uh, not so much The Library at Mount Char. That might not be so pleasant. But, like, any book that has an amazing library, 
I would be thrilled. Or any book where I could stop time so I could read, you know, indefinitely. That would be awesome. Crystal wants to know if I have any recommendations for funny books. I would have, one of the funniest books I've ever read is Three Men in a Boat by Jerome K. Jerome, which is a book that came out at the end of the 19th century. If you had told me that a book about three men being bored and taking a ride down a river for the entire length of a book would be one of the funniest things I'd ever read, I would not believe it. But it is. It, and it's still kind of it's still kind of fresh and holds up today. It's really, really charming. I also love Samantha Irby. I love her books of essays. She has a new one coming out next year called Wow, No Thank You, uh, coming out March 31st. I think that she is hilarious. I love her newsletter. I love everything she does. Uh, so I'm very excited for her new book. And if you've not read her, she is a scream. Crystal also wants to know if there are any yummy places to eat in Maine. Um, you can't take my word for a lot of them because... Not a lot of vegan options in Maine, um, but from what I remember, the best donuts I had in Maine were at Cogden's Donuts in Wells. There's also a place that makes vegan donuts in Portland called Holy Donuts. I used to eat all the time before I became a vegan at the Great Lost Bear in Portland. has like 50,000 things on the menu and crazy, crazy decor, and it was tons of fun. Um, there's also Nosh and Honey Paw in Portland. They have great food. And also Green Elephant has two locations, one in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and one in Portland. They are entirely vegan and delicious. Tara wants to know, every superhero has an origin story, and I want yours. How did you get your start loving books? Why do you love books so much? How did you get to be such a fast reader? And are there any books that shaped you as a reader? Um, well, I'm sure I've mentioned this before, but we'll go through it again. Um... I, I, and then I forget my answer. Um, my mom was a librarian from when I was very little. Uh, she worked at a library, so I was always at the library with her from a very young age. Um, and she also took a second job working at a bookstore, so it was like double delight. Um, so I would go with her to the bookstore or to the library and just read all day. So I didn't get into a lot of trouble because I just like to read. When I was old enough, she had me like shelving, emptying the return cart, putting the plastic, clear plastic on the covers, which I absolutely hated. Um, but then I would get to do whatever I wanted, and I think I became such a fast reader because while my parents never told me I couldn't read anything, at the end of the day, um, I would be sitting there reading, like, uh, V.C. Andrews or Sidney Sheldon or Stephen King or John Irving. My mother would never have let me take those books out of the library, so I think that's how I learned how to read so fast, was because if I wanted to know what happened, I had to read it by the end of the day before we left. Uh, and the book that had the biggest effect on me, I think, would probably be The Westing Game. I loved that book. It really spoke to me. I don't know why. I just wanted something like really exciting like that to happen in real life, I think. Um, so I loved that book. So, Ren wants to know, if you were to write your own book, any genre, any topic any what have you, what would it be about? I have no idea. I have, I would really like to have a book. I think the idea of having a book out is very exciting. I do not have any ideas for books. People ask me all the time, when are you going to write a book? You love to read, when are you going to write a book? I don't, I don't have anything. Um, and I think that's okay. I used to feel weird about being like, I am a reader, that is my job, but I no longer feel that way. Um, I am a book fluffer. I read books and I get other people excited about them. And that's cool, I think. Um, so I don't think I'll ever write a book. That would be really cool, though. 
But yeah, I have no ideas. Like zero ideas. Sorry, Ren. Catherine wants to know, I'd like to get started reading horror, but I also want to be able to sleep at night. Do you have any horror tips for getting for not getting insomnia? Oh, I say horror so terribly. It's my main accent. I'm sorry. Um, so, Catherine, I would say, here's how I don't have nightmares when I read horror. Uh, I read during the daytime. Like, if I have a couple of books to read, I always read the scary one during the day when, the, when it's light out, when the lights are on, or at night when the lights are on. And then, if you read close to bedtime, I suggest a palate cleanser, whether it's a funny book, or a lighthearted book, or a TV show. I always have that kind of buffer before I go to sleep. Um, and that really helps me. I don't usually have nightmares. Jen wants to know, how many of your tattoos are bookish versus not bookish? Um, not, not many. Uh, I have 39 tattoos. Uh, seven of them are book-related or comic book-related. I have a tattoo of the amazing screw on head, which I also think is the best 22 minutes of television ever made. They made a pilot of the amazing screw on head. It didn't get picked up. It's great. It's a shame. Um, I have a tattoo of Bobby Yaga's house from Hellboy. I have quotes on both my arms. One's from Sarah Waters that says, What a punishing business it is simply being alive. And one from Stephen Crane from my favorite poem, Into the Desert. The very last line, Because it is bitter and because it is my heart. I have the Goodbye Blue Monday Bomb from Kurt Vonnegut. I have a tattoo from The Tick, which is a juice box with a drink umbrella in it. I have the $2 radio logo, which ensures that I get all their books for life. And I have a giant book with wings that says read or die. So not that I have like a million ideas for bookish tattoos, but not that many. I haven't been tattooed in several years. It's like a, it's like a financial thing because tattoos are expensive and I've been spending all my money on books lately. So because I have a house to put them in now, um, I would love to get more tattoos though. But yeah, only seven. Sorry, Jen. Jamie wants to know, if you got to adapt one book, which would it be, and what format and place would you like to see it made? I think The Queen of the Night by Alexander Chi would make an amazing limited series on HBO. It would be so cinematic and musical and wonderful, and I'm hoping that somebody does that someday. Or even, an, it would like make a great opera too, right? Because she's an opera singer, that would be amazing. So that would be my first pick. I also really, really want to see something happen with Gideon the Ninth, but maybe... We can wait and see how the trilogy ends first. And Jamie also asks, if you could travel anywhere in the world with one author, living or dead, who and where? That's easy. I would choose Agatha Christie and I would go to Egypt. Agatha Christie loved ancient Egypt. Her second husband was an archaeologist. After she got rid of her first husband, Archie, who was a total wanker, um, she married Max, who worked in Egypt. There's a great quote from her that says, An archaeologist is the best husband a woman can have. The older she gets, the more interested he is in her. Which is really funny. Um, but I just, I loved Agatha Christie. When I was very small, I thought I was Agatha Christie. I think I talked about this on, no, I talked about it on Red or Dead. <laughs> like when I was like eight or nine, I loved ancient Egypt and I loved Agatha Christie. And I thought maybe like I was Agatha Christie reincarnated. Because as, you know, Kevin Costner says in Bulldrum, why does everyone always think they're reincarnated as someone famous? Um, and I thought I was her. But anyway, moving on, Susie wants to know, who are the coolest authors you've ever met? Uh, I cannot choose. I've met hundreds of authors. Uh, most of them, almost all of them are cool. Uh, I am not cool when I meet authors. I am much better than I used to be. But you know, many years ago when I worked in a bookstore, we had a couple of local authors that used to come in. And I just loved them so much that when I saw them 
coming towards the store, I would run and hide in the back, except a couple of times when I didn't have enough time, so I would just literally drop to the floor behind the counter uh, and wait until they left. And it turns out um, I became friends with one of them later, and he totally saw me doing that and never said anything, which was nice of him because I was just I was just so, so, so shy. Um, but I still, like, when I meet authors that I love, I still get very nervous and just start babbling, and it's it's terrible. But, I, you know, I can't pick an author, like, who, like the coolest author, because they're just, they're all so cool. But um, that kind of leads into the next question. Another question from Anonymous. How did you get over your fear of public speaking? Uh, well, it was, it was just an epiphany I had. Um, I used to be painfully shy, really, really, really shy. Uh, I still am totally shy recording the podcast, always covered in flop sweat when I'm finished. But um, last year, I agreed to interview Madeline Miller in front of a hundred or so people. I have no idea why. It just came over me. I just was like, yes, yes, I'm going to do this. And then after that, I had a stomach ache like Cheaty the rest of the time waiting for the event, being like, why did I say yes to that? And I was driving to the event. It was last summer in Maine. Maine, is, Maine traffic is just the worst. I got stuck in traffic for like a half an hour. I was just sitting in traffic, not going anywhere. And my stomach was going, Ugh. and I was like, why did I say yes? I'm so nervous. This is going to be so terrible. And all of a sudden, I just had this thought like, you know, this is supposed to be fun. People have to do things that they don't want to do every day, like terrible things that they don't want to do. And you said yes to this because it's going to be fun. And, it, and just like that, it was like a weight lifted off me. And I got up there on the stage and I was fine. And since then, I, I've had I had no problem. And, and I've done a lot more author interviews on stage. And I love it. I really, really love it. Uh, making like a room full of people laugh is a is a heck of a drug, and I, and I really enjoy it. Like, I want to do it more. Um, and I, I, I'm going to be interviewing Erin Morgenstern for her book launch in Boston. Just very excited that I got over my fear of public speaking. I don't know that that, you know, thought will work for everybody, but I hope that it does if you're afraid of, you know, speaking in front of crowds. I am still nervous recording the podcast, though. I don't, I don't know why that is. There's no one in this room with me. Uh, I can't see anyone, and yet, for some reason, I get more nervous now than when I'm on stage. But maybe I'll get over that someday, too. Heather wants to know, what is the book you have recommended the most? Or maybe a few different genres. Definitely 84 Charing Cross Road by Helene Hanf, which, like, I recommend that to everyone who wants a feel-good book. Um, Element OP by Mark Dunn, also for a uh, witty feel-good book. Um, that's the one where the letters keep disappearing from the text. Really enjoy that. When I worked at the indie bookstore, my best-selling staff picks were The Lost City of Z for nonfiction by David Gran, um, which I still haven't watched the movie, but uh, that was my nonfiction pick. And my most popular fiction was actually Glaciers by Alexis, Alexis Smith, which is one of the most perfect, beautiful, sad little novels that there is. Rebecca wants to know, how, what's your process for keeping track of new releases? How do you discover new books? And how do you keep the information organized? Uh, I have a spreadsheet. I have a regular document. I find the information. I go through the catalogs. And I also take a lot of screenshots. Um, when I'm looking at Instagram, if I see a book that I'm interested in, I take a screenshot. And then at the end of the day, I go through my photos and I mark all those titles down. Same, with, same thing with social media. Like if I'm looking at Twitter on my computer and I see an author mention a book or a publisher mention a book. Um, so I, I, do, I must do like 30 or 40 of those a day. Um, it does take up a lot of time, but it does pay off later because I know a lot about the books, um, and it's really, really fun. 
So then I have like this giant master spreadsheet with all the upcoming books. Patricia wants to know, do you ever have reading slumps? If so, how do you deal with them? I, I don't. I I can't think of a time when I've really had a reading slump. Last year when Steinbeck died, I couldn't read. Uh, it wasn't because of reading. It was just because I was upset. And I didn't read for a couple weeks, which I think is the longest I've ever gone without reading. Um, and this year, my whole life is a slump. Um, it's been awesome, but like a lot of health problems, a lot of financial problems coming up. Um, just like such, such bad luck. Um, with, with major appliances this year. Uh, so I have been kind of in a slump and it's been harder to read, but it's never because of books. Uh, I'll read a few books in a row and be like, I did not like any of those. Um, but I've never stopped reading because of it. Um, but I know that if you're like, if you're in a slump or if you feel like a slump is coming on, I recommend changing up genres. I recommend reading comics for a while or, reading something funny, or just watching television for a while. You know, stream a whole season of a show and then go back to books and see how you feel. And Patricia also wants to know, what is Maine like? Hmm. Well, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, it's, you know, freezing cold in the winter. There's lots of snow. We have mountains and deserts and ocean and parks and all kinds of trees there's a little bit of everything here. It's a really large state, and yet it feels very small. Uh, you can drive from the bottom to the top in six hours, and I feel like you can never get lost here. Like, even when you're driving around and you don't know where you're going, you know, it's kind of hard to get lost in Maine, you know, and it's just so, so, so beautiful. I wanted to get the heck out of Maine when I graduated because it was a terrible time for me, and I was like, I'm never going back there. And I moved all the way across the river to New Hampshire. But, you know, I came back five years ago now. And I'm just so happy to be here. And happy that we have a new governor. And just delighted by everything. Um, and also, again, I'll say it, I'm in my 40s now. I care so less about things, you know. And it's great. It's a great feeling. So I hope that all of you, you know, experience that when you get in your 40s too. Um, and so that's, that's it for questions. Uh, thanks to everybody who... Who wrote in. Um, I hope that, you know, I answered your question for you and it was fun. It was, it was challenging. I, I was really surprised about like the, what the book I wanted to write, or the book I wanted to be in with all these books in my head. Like I, I can't believe I, I didn't have answers, but there you have it. Um, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you to all of you for listening. Even, even being nervous recording, it's worth it because you're all so great. And again, thank you to our sponsor, and we'll be back in a couple of days with a new show. So happy reading. <laughs>